0: The long absence was moving out of the house in Crestone uh, that uh, we'd been renting for the last eight months or so, and um, we had accumulated some stuff, and uh, so all the moving stress was happening. And um, for the last, uh, I don't know, you know, five days before we left there at the end of the month, and then uh, we were on the road in the van. Out in the middle of nowhere, beautiful Utah. If you've if you've never been to Utah, get your ass out to Utah. Utah is amazing. Um, There's a town called Boulder, Utah, not to be confused with Boulder, Colorado. oh uh, if you go to Boulder, Utah, you can't go wrong. Any direction in and out of Boulder, Utah is. Some of the most beautiful country you will ever see. Unfortunately, there's a heat wave going on in Utah, uh, in addition to a historic drought. And um, so, a couple of nights, beautiful, really nice. Hot during the day, but that's okay. You find some shade, or you're driving, whatever. Um, the van has AC up in the front for driving, but it doesn't have sleep AC. And... Um, man, one night we're out in the desert and, uh, it got windy and the wind coming in through the window was like a hair dryer blowing in your face. It was so hot. And, um, so I, I'm not good with that. I don't do well sleeping in extreme heat. Does anyone, Is, are there people for whom that's not an issue? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, we decided uh, to uh, accelerate our trip through Utah. And then we got in, in touch with Tal Ruspoli, uh, who we were planning to stop and visit at his compound in Joshua Tree. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm leaving in a couple days, going sailing in the Mediterranean. You know, he, he lives that kind of life. He's the kind of guy who goes off and, go sailing with an old friend through the Mediterranean for two weeks. So, decided to uh, rush down to Joshua Tree and spend some time with him before he left, and I'm really glad we did. Tao and I recorded this podcast. Uh, It's a a joint release. It's already up on YouTube if you'd rather watch us sitting in his music studio. Uh, He's also the kind of guy who picks up a guitar and blows your mind with a guitar and then sits down at the piano and blows your mind at the piano. And he's just one of those super talented, multifaceted individuals. And um, so we uh, sat down and recorded this. As I said, it's a a joint release um, because he has a podcast called Being in the World. And uh, I would encourage you to check that out. He posts all the episodes on YouTube uh, and also where fine podcasts are found. He's been on this podcast. Uh, I think this is his fourth appearance. So if you're interested in knowing more about him, you can go into the archives. Um, I think his first appearance was probably one of, I think it was one of the first episodes I recorded. Um, he's a fascinating dude. I got to know him because he was making a film, uh, That is uh, out. It's called Monogamish. And he interviewed me for the film. And uh, then we went out for dinner. And uh, the friendship just took off from there. My parents are actually in that film, strangely. um, As people who can speak to the benefits of lifelong monogamy. Ironically, in some ways. Maybe totally predictably in others. Um, it's very moving to for me to see them and see my dad who uh, passed away about two and a half years ago and uh, just to see him talking about love and acceptance and I remember there's a point where Tao asks him you know would you advocate lifelong monogamy to people is that do you think that's a good choice and my dad sort of ponders for a moment and he says, uh, you know, I'd advocate love. That was my dad. He was uh, tuned into the substance and not really concerned with uh, the packaging. Anyway, this conversation is with Tal Ruspoli Uh, One of my favorite people on planet Earth. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you will check out his podcast, Being in the World. I am going to try to release a whole bunch of podcasts here uh, rapidly, so I hope you won't get tired of hearing from me, um, especially now that you haven't heard from me in a couple of weeks. You've probably forgotten all about me. But if not, um, uh, you'll be hearing from me more frequently, hopefully. It's a weird thing because normally, as I've said this before in the podcast, especially for Toma and Roma episodes, I kind of need to get myself into a certain kind of clear minded space um, because I don't want to be all distracted and stressed when I'm talking to you. I try to save um, our Time together for when I'm, it's almost like a first date or something. Like, I, I don't want to be, I, I want to give you, if not my best self, at least not a totally fucked up, distracted self. Um, and so when there's a lot going on, I, I just, I'm not in the right space to do the podcast. And, um, and yet I know that's kind of, I, I mean, I don't know if it's unfair, or inaccurate, or whatever, but. Uh, being in LA where I am now I'm so stressed out it's crazy I mean I'm sleeping in the van in my mother's driveway so I mean there's an issue with that um, but seven o'clock in the morning people are out there fucking sawing wood and drilling holes and you know starting up their lawnmowers like what the fuck people um, yeah and just the traffic here, the way people drive, the, there's this, you know, aggressive, opportunistic, fuck you, I'm, I'm you know, I'm in a hurry um, energy here that, uh, obviously, I've been exposed to it in the past, um, but I feel like my defenses are down, like, I've got no immunological response to this insanity anymore. Um, Which reminds me of a couple things I wanted to say to you. One of which is I got vaccinated. We haven't really talked about it last. I was ranting about masks six months ago or something, but I haven't really mentioned much about it since then, but I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine felt like shit for a few hours. And then that was it. Um, So that's my experience with the vaccine. Um, and it's also interesting how... I often think about how one indication of human nature, for lack of a better phrase, is to be found in the the rapidity with which we get used to something, right? Uh, if ever. So, you get... I mean like clean water clean water just tastes perfect right like it's just perfect there's no mm, do I like this do I not like this if you're thirsty clean water just tastes the way your body wants it to taste so obviously we evolved drinking clean water um, but then there are other things that you it's hard to get used to like chronic stress lots of noise, unexpected sounds, flashes. Um, And so this is an indication of where we came from as a species, the things that are easy to get used to and, and where the, the um, adaptation happens rapidly or the things where there's like a built in resistance or an inability to process. Um, These are the things that, uh, you know, so it's sort of a, I don't know, maybe this is totally obvious and stupid, but it's a a way of understanding where we come from and what uh, is the correct position or the correct context for us is what's easy, and that ties into my whole sort of philosophy of life, right, which is if it's really that much work, maybe it's not the right place for you, not the right thing, not the right relationship, etc. Okay, last thing I want to say before I transition out of this intro is, if you're listening to this, I'm posting this today, Thursday, June 10th, um, we're having our first I don't know, is it safe to say post-COVID at this point? It feels like COVID is still in the air, so to speak, in Los Angeles. Still masks and and anxiety everywhere. But anyway, we're having a get-together for listeners of this podcast and Anya Katz's podcasts, uh, Horror Rapport and uh, Millennials Guide to Saving the World. Um, you can find details on my website. Uh, just go to thatchrisryan.com. Uh, look for, uh, I think, what's it under? It's I know the tab is Vanthropology. Um, let me see. I'm, I'm going to pull it up even as I'm speaking to you. Uh, oh, it's under About, right? If you go across the top there, the the um headings and uh, go down to vanthropology and there are instructions it's happening saturday june 12th 5 p.m at a place called the last outpost in Westlake village uh, a little bit outside of la uh a listener of the podcast ryan i think his name is recommended this place he's um he's an illustrator i believe and he says he's got his studio out there and it's uh It's outdoors, and it looks like a really cool place. I haven't been there yet, but uh, if you're in the area and you want to come hang out, please come Saturday at 5 p.m., and as I said, you'll find the instructions on how to get there at uh, thatchrisryan.com under Vanthropology, which is on the About um, heading. All right. Let's uh, get into this conversation with the amazing Tal Ruspali. I'm going to play you out with a song that I just heard recently. I really like it. Uh, I'm kind of um, you know listening to it repeatedly. I like the I like the vibe. I like the energy. I like the lyrics. Uh, the message is interesting. It's called A Thought. Is just a train. Oh, sorry. A thought is just a passing train. Very interesting. A Thought is Just a Passing Train. It's by John Moreland. Hope you enjoy it. And I hope your passing trains are of the romantic, distant, relaxing sort and not the uh, crashing-by-your-bedroom-window sort that I've been dealing with recently. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be back with you in a couple days. Ciao. Shadow of your mind This life is but a moment these these are the industry standard
1: microphones Uh, to conform i I don't conform in many things i'm very anarchist except when Mm. it comes to i would say manners grammar and then you know that's probably it (laughs) (laughs) um i was thinking i was thinking about wisdom we just read I just read out loud this uh, little uh passage that our our mutual friend Jeff Dyer wrote Yeah, you want to turn this down a little bit? A
0: little bit, yeah. Thanks. How's that? Yeah. A little bit
1: you higher. Where is minute. it? It's the last slider there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um our mutual friend Jeff Dyer uh has a book coming out and he wrote I can't give too much away cuz uh, it hasn't come out yet, but he wrote about an experience coming here and uh trying to uh take dmt and uh, it was quite entertaining but one of the under under one of the things that made me think about reading the little rough draft of the passage to you guys is this idea of uh wisdom that comes with uh years or sometimes the opposite right like a certain like uh getting stuck in one's Mm -hmm. ways rigidity yeah and, um, you know, I see you, we have a kind of older brother, younger brother dynamic. Um, uh, you're, you're older. Yeah, and, much. You're the older brother. And, okay. So, <laughs> Cody said to me yesterday, he's like, this guy is given the choice of infinite wisdom or infinite wealth. Did you hear this? Were you mm-hmm. in this conversation? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, of course, I'll take the wisdom. So poof, he's suddenly really wise. And he has a for his first insight. Should I should take have taken them? the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I want to ask you, being just a little older than me, um, but also an example to me of someone who does keep reinventing your life and your, you know, a kind of freedom that you hold on to, do you find that it's harder to kind of break out of habits as you get older? Or do you think it's uh or do you think you're able to keep a fresh outlook? And if so, how do you do it?
0: It's a good question. I, I mean, habits, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes the habits that, or habits of mind, let's say, I guess we're
1: talking about. Um, Not just of mind, I think also of uh, lifestyle. Like living in a van in your 50s, right. but, but not and not feeling like a regressive thing. You make it feel like a, uh, just a, a very deliberate choice out of right. a, 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 a choice of, of living a life that's not constrained by the normal. Uh, but, but you could say
0: that my approach to life being unconstrained by social expectations is itself a habit of mind uh-huh right because i mean i've always been like that right i was a weird eccentric little kid i was a weird eccentric university student and weird through my 20s and you know so i've always felt uh unconstrained by expectations of of anyone or anything and so that that's why framing is so important right because from that perspective, you could say, of course he lives in a fucking van at 59. Like, that's where he's been headed his whole life, you know? <laughs> and so maybe that's not so much a sign of any flexibility as it is a sign of just sticking to something. And that, that's what I was gonna say, that some of these habits, as we get older, I'm i am gonna turn 60, I'm in my 60th year, so it's sort of a When's your birthday? February.
1: Let's have a party. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to celebrate your 60th here. That would be cool. If you're into it. Yeah. Or actually in Bombay Beach, it would happen. Because we'll yeah. be in Bombay during yeah. that time. Let's have a big Chris Ryan birthday bash in Bombay. <laughs> Invite all your friends and all your yeah. podcast listeners. By the way, we're doing each other's podcasts, which is cool. I'm super excited about this. Because I've been on your podcast three times. I always dreamt of having a podcast, but it took me eight years of listening to yours and a few others that inspired me to finally start it yeah and it's so wonderful i'm it's glad awesome. you did it's a cool thing
0: anyway what i was going to say is is that some of those those habits of mine can just be lack of flexibility or or you know unexamined repetition but some of them are also that you learn things hopefully in those years those decades and it's like uh, this is the best way to do it for me I don't need to keep rethinking this. I mean, I can remember a weird example. I can remember where I lived and what time of my life it was when I started drying myself off after a shower in the same way every time.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: I can remember that it was like, oh, this actually works the best way. This sequence. Which is what? Uh, Which is like, start... Drying my hair back, uh-huh. never have to comb it, never have to do anything with it. Just dry, you know, just push it back with the towel. It dries in place, and oh. you know, I always had pretty short hair, I guess. Anyway, just like this particular, and I noticed, like, oh, I'm drying myself the same way every time now. How old were you? Early 30s.
1: Interesting. I haven't gotten there. I'm 45. I have no idea how I dry myself. <laughs> really. That's interesting. Often I can't even find a towel and I just kind of got <laughs> air dry. <laughs> but there, but there are other things like that.
0: You know, like, uh, oh, I've had a bunch of wine. I'm going to drink a big glass of water before I go to bed. You know, then mm-hmm. I won't have a headache in the morning. Whatever. I mean, they're, they're little uh, hacks, life hacks that you work out over time. And then you just like, oh, I'm going to do that because I know that will avoid pain. It will avoid problems. And maybe some of those from outside just looks like oh you know old guy stuck in his habits but and sometimes it is probably but sometimes it's you learn shit I mean and cognitive things you know like I've said on my podcast that when I was young I thought I would answer some profound questions as I got older and now that I'm older. I realized, yeah, okay, I may have answered a few,
1: but most of them I would say I just learned to stop asking. Interesting. And that's the wisdom, it's just not to even bother asking them. So I was, um, my brother, my older brother married into the most wonderful family in, in Italy. And um, they're, they're, they, they, they make clothes and shoes, famously, Ferragamo. Oh. And um, I think I've heard of them. Yeah. It's one of the few like brands that still belongs to the family instead of those big brands have all been sold to multinationals and mm. huge corporate things. And this is still a family business. It was started by this, uh, you know, very poor man who was like, I think he was one of 13 kids in a little village outside of Naples. And he, since he was a child, he wanted to make shoes. And like when he was like seven, he stayed up all night cause the family couldn't afford shoes for the, uh, the 12 year old sister that was having her first communion. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like tradition to have white leather shoes and sh- they couldn't afford them. And the seven year old Salvatore Ferragamo stayed up all night and made his sister shoes. And mm-hmm. it was like cemented. It, this was obviously what he's gonna do and do well. Anyway, I was, um, when my brother married into the family, my cousin Claudia, who if you've seen Monogamous, you will uh, recognize the amazing character who lives in the Rispoli castle she decides to throw a very fancy lunch to introduce our families and uh, to you know make sure they feel welcome and and so I'm sitting next to the uh, matriarch of this family and um, making conversation and I told a story about um, Bertrand Russell he was 98 years old and he was talking about the trajectory of his career And he said, you know, when I was young, my brain worked very well, I was very intelligent. So I did mathematics, up until my age 30. And you know, he wrote the Principia Mathematica, which like was put the entire foundations of math into logic, it takes like 380 pages before he defines the number one. And um, anyway, then he said, you know, your brain deteriorates as you get older. And when I got to about 30, my brain was no longer sharp enough to do mathematics, and so I became too dumb for mathematics, and I got into philosophy. And then um, he said, I did philosophy for about 40 years, and then uh, my brain deteriorated a little more. And he was he was a great activist, anti-war and everything. But yeah. In this interview, he said, you know, I became, after 40 years, my brain was so deteriorated, I became too stupid for philosophy, so I got into politics. And um, without missing a beat, Ferg- Mrs. Ferragamo turns to me and said, let me guess after that fashion <laughs> I fell in love with her at that moment <laughs> that uh, that, that, wit and that self-deprecation I was like yeah. this is why you guys are so cool and successful and like not taking yourself too seriously there's this idea this is kind of Heideggerian idea that um, there's no outside reason for a world The the significance that emerges in a world let's say the world of jazz, right? Or the world of chess even. Let's say when you look at a chess board and you don't know how to play chess, you just see wooden pieces and some checkers, right? Then you start to learn and then each piece distinguishes itself through that skillfulness, right? Mm. So then now you know the, the, the possibilities of the pawn and, mm. then, and then you get really good and suddenly you can look at a board and you can say, the queen looks uh, impotent in that position. Mm. And that's not an opinion, that's a fact. Mm. And the fact that only emerges from the, a deep skill in that domain. And there's nothing in the outside world. There's no way you can reduce the impotence of the queen to a, a you know, fa- a fact about the physical reality of like the way the atoms are bouncing around. Right? It's a non-reductionist kind of uh, explanation. And and so the the idea is that you could have significance within a domain that is essentially groundless, but is still just as real. Like um, as, as real as what? as real as anything no. like i i it's not it's not it's 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 an objective fact that uh, you know the the b- b- position of a game is not just your opinion and my opinion like i was talking with anya in the in the, other, the, the podcast we just did about how when you you get married you do it in public because I think we're communal beings, but it's not, some people say like, why would you want to get married in in public? Because it's a private thing between the two of you that you're in love. Like, why do you need to announce it to the world? But no, you you do need to, you're asking the community to recognize you as a couple, let's say, right? And you're going to resist this, I think, but I can tell you're skeptical. But I think that it's not, it's an institutional fact that you're married but it is a fact it's not like that person can say i don't think they're really married and that person can say well i think they sort of are and it's not it's not debatable right so we have these institutional realities Hmm. uh, and these kind of like structures of significance that emerge from uh from a a world that's like kind of self-contained i don't know why i'm talking about this but
0: i think about that sometimes where Stat, I'm, I'm not sure if this is an extension of what you were saying, but I think about someone like, um, you know, Michael Jordan,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, who has a lot of status, a lot of wealth, a lot of power of certain sorts, but it's all based upon something that's totally arbitrary. There, he's not good at anything other than jumping high and making that ball go through that circle it's a really weirdly arbitrary thing that we sell. It's not like boxing where it's like, yeah, you beat people up there. That's like translatable to the real world very directly. Um, You know, or, or a chef or their skills, a musician, their skills that are like, oh yeah, this has applicability broadly outside of the little world that you're in. Whereas like, you know, Tiger Woods, like, okay, you're really good at, swinging a stick, hitting a ball by your foot and making it go 300 feet away. It's like, who gives a shit?
1: Well, you don't, but that's be- And I think that's probably, you don't, you haven't developed those skills for understanding well, why it matters. Sure, But I don't think that, I think, Obviously, some worlds are more are are richer than others. Like, there's no way you're gonna find the depth in checkers that you're gonna find in chess, right? There's no way you're gonna find in a video game that was just, that's just limited in its kind of scope. And there are certain domains that are like inexhaustible, like great literature or great music. music yeah. And uh, I don't know what it is about the nature of those disciplines. I don't think it's that it applies to other things. Like I, I think you could. Like, Miles Davis' trumpet playing doesn't apply to the rest of his life, and it doesn't matter if it does or not. It's still a rich enough domain that it's worthwhile both to pursue and to admire in somebody, and, and to learn the skills to listen to and, I get, and kind of dive into that world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess what I mean is is like, and maybe this is my bias thinking about everything in terms of prehistory and so on, but like, you know, we were talking about Jake Johansson, uh, a friend earlier, is a comedian, stand-up comedian. I saw him do a show recently, he's standing up in front of three, four hundred people, whatever, and for ninety minutes he captivates all those people, entertains them. He's like he's he's playing the room in some sort of alchemical relationship with every mind in the room and and it's, it's a skill that I look at and I say, man, 50,000 years ago, that guy would have been the coolest dude in the tribe, right? Mm-hmm. He's the guy, because you're sitting around the fire. What do you do? You make music, you tell stories, you make people laugh, you dance, whatever. Those are skills that are like essentially human skills, almost on a biological level. So I'm comparing those in terms of their so miles davis if he could play a flute or he played whatever instrument was around somebody who can play some percussion and get people dancing there's something non-arbitrary about that i guess is my point i'm not i'm not poo-pooing golf or chess or anything else i'm just saying they're very you know you you were talking about limited worlds right like Mm -hmm. if you don't understand chess then bobby fisher's just an eccentric difficult dude right Mm -hmm. whereas if you do understand it then he's a genius yeah but you need to enter that world to to appreciate him you don't really need to be a musician to listen to the moonlight sonata and say holy fuck that's beautiful no
1: but you have to have the skills for listening and i think that that's those go music so permeates our culture that we don't realize how much it's a learned skill but i don't even think it's a question whether even like a melody would come across as a melody if you didn't have certain acculturation to that to what the way western music works. I mean look at the way like Chinese or traditional Indian music sounds to us. It's it's it takes some practice to hear as mm. is chordant or word, the opposite of discordant.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed a, an ethnomusicologist once and we were talking about that and He said that the general theory of the sort of emergence of music is that it replicates the sounds of the insects in the night in that part of the world. So in Africa, there were like much more sort of lots of rhythmic, Uh you know, intersecting rhythmic complex um, sort of networks or, or fabric, you know. Um, and other parts of the world would be much simpler like in Mali or something in the desert in the Sahara You get a different kind of bluesy You know a very different sound much less busy and it's interesting to think about I don't know how that would translate to Indian and yeah Chinese It, it music. feels it
1: feels it feels um, I'm skeptical of that sort of reductionist uh, Explanation of things like also even like the very reason we make music, you know, you can try and like reduce it to like, you know, some form of peacocking or something like that. And I think that that misses something essential. Mm. And I think that while it could be true, but just like the same that it's true that, uh, you know, uh, you know, behavior might be at some level, determined by the, the laws of physics. I don't think that that level of explanation does much good. Right. So I think that we, you know, uh, the layer at which we explain something, it, it, just because it's more fundamental, doesn't make it more true or more useful of mm. an explanation. Right. So that, yeah. uh, and so there's explaining music in terms of some biological, uh, you know, imperative, it, you know, it's, it yeah, sure. It's, it, it doesn't tell me that much. So if they're, in, yeah. if they're mimicking the insects and that's true, that's an that's an odd and interesting fact. Right. It, it doesn't help me understand Beethoven's Sonata any better. Right. In any meaningful way.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was talking about the emergence. He wasn't talking about, yeah. you know, music at this point. Um, and of course, I think it was Terrence McKenna, was it, who had the theory that the reason African rhythms are more complex... Then the rhythms of Native Americans is that the Native Americans had lots of psychedelic substances. So they use those substances to enter altered states, whereas in Africa there really isn't much other than Iboga, which is very, very harsh and, you know, not something you would use recreationally. Right. Um so they develop complex rhythms as a way to enter trance.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: Yeah. I like that. But, I mean, I take your point, and I think it relates back to what we started talking about, where as I get older, I think I'm much less in search of the answer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm much more like, well, this is one way of looking at it. Here's another way of looking at it. There are I feel like I could argue multiple sides to pretty much any issue. And so, in a way, I think that makes life more nuanced and interesting and and maybe increases compassion and you sort of understand people are coming from places you can't possibly predict or or make assumptions about on the other hand it it makes everything kind of slippery and there's a feeling of kind of letting go i think Um, not trying to grasp at certainties not trying to find final answers not trying to check a box and move on it's like no no this is just the way it is everything is so nuanced and multiple
1: but do you think that there's a cumulative like wisdom like do you do you feel like you know more now than at age 40 and would not want to trade places with your 40 year old self because of it or do you think that that life it goes in in just a kind of pointless circle (laughs) <laughs> are those my only two options no there's other options too. <laughs> draw any shape you like <laughs>
0: it's a pointless <laughs> hexagon but, uh, i mean yeah i definitely know more than i knew at 40 and uh you know i wouldn't i mean i wouldn't i don't really even know how to think of would you want to go back or trade places um but you know is there a point I don't I don't know I mean it's so interesting to think about you know someone like Bertrand Russell you mentioned earlier who who lived you know five lives as far as you know what he learned and his output and his complexity and his personal experiences and and then that all just goes up in smoke when he dies like it's just done that's it like there's no accumulation there's nothing that gets brought into the next life and there's a real appeal of some sort of you know Buddhist reincarnation in that like we work so hard sometimes I see people like even you here you you know you're building this world I said to you last night you're like a, a little god you build worlds in Bombay Beach here and then you're gonna die and what's gonna happen to all this is it just gonna disintegrate in the desert you don't have any kids that we know of, uh, that I know of. <laughs> what's, <laughs> you know, I, I, see these people who, who, you know, spend their lifetimes building, you know, this eccentric dude who builds the castle in the, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And then he
1: dies. And it's like, what was the point of that? Hubert Dreyfus who was my mentor at Berkeley and the podcast named after him, his being in the world. Um, you know he was a huge influence on me and he was so dominated obviously by his intellect and there was something slightly kind of awkward and then just i remember like he was like such he was so he shown so much as he was uh teaching but then when you try and interact with him in real life he was awkward and there was something kind of nerdy and like like not comfortable necessarily in his own skin and as he got older that kind of went away and he became more and more like wise in the way that we think of like there was a certain glint in his eye that and a more comfortable confident Mm. stance and then he started to lose his uh mental capacities dramatically he started getting dementia right Mm. and you know he lived an incredible life he had you know professor berkeley for decades and at mit before that And, and i went to see him and he had regressed to total childhood And this was one of the most both disturbing and moving and beautiful things I've ever seen because his entire essence, or at least what we had had identified as his essence was gone.
2: Mm.
1: And he was like this, but he had this, this um, sense of awe that I had never seen before and sense of like, like, like gratitude and like warmth. And, 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 and all his students gathered around him. And this was just a few weeks before he died. Like they threw a little like party for him. That was obviously going to be like a goodbye. And he's like in his late eighties and he sat there and everybody went up to him and was holding his hand and he was crying out of, he didn't know what was happening really, but he, you could see he was just moved by the love that he was getting from everybody. Right. And it was so hard for me, but also so, I don't know, kind of important to recognize that whatever we identify as, don't get too attached to it, right? Because it's not, you know, it's going to be gone. And then of course, you can expand that to the, the Earth itself and the universe itself, like nothing is uh, Yeah, nothing stays, we have to we have to we have to accept that with uh, whatever the wisdom we have, or whatever, you know, whatever philosophy we have it better incorporate that very basic fact or or you're deluding yourself i think
0: yeah yeah i was thinking about that yesterday driving down here came down through the mojave desert i guess and um i don't know if you've seen i'm sure you've done that road but they're there are like these piles of boulders by the side of the road and i guess high school kids go out and do graffiti on them and it seems like it's been going on for a long time. There's a lot of graffiti. And when I first saw the first pile, I thought, uh oh, fucking kids, fucking up nature. You know. And then the next pile and the sun was low and somebody had done some art and it was nice. And it was like really glossy and beautiful and silver and gold. And you know, all these beautiful colors, and the sun was lighting them up beautifully, and I was like, okay now is that vandalism or is that destruction or creativity there you know what is that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also those rocks have been sitting there for probably you know 10 million years who gives a fuck that there's a little layer of spray paint on them that'll be gone you know uh in no time as far as the rock is concerned Mm -hmm. and then i thought like is that what we are to the earth we're like graffiti sprayed onto the side of a rock you know what i mean (laughs) yeah i mean you look at it in terms of geological time and all that it's like what are we this what are we stressing about there's a lot of yeah i mean again i don't know what i as far as wisdom goes i don't know but i do feel like there is a for me anyway getting older is a relaxing experience because i'm i feel myself letting go of so many things like the first 30 or 35 years of my life was about grabbing things right it was about bringing things in pulling them in and accumulating and working and figuring things out and and it was like a giant inhalation and then somewhere around 40, I feel like, okay, now I can exhale. Mm. And it's so much more relaxing. That's a nice metaphor. And right? you sort of just let it go. And don't. you get old enough to realize it doesn't fucking matter. And everything will work out. Everything will be fine, whatever fine means. And even if it doesn't work out, it'll still be fine. <laughs> I and mean, what did uh, Kafka say?
1: There is hope, but not for us. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that. I did have a T-shirt that said, "I feel so much better than that. that I've lost all hope." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my dad loved this T-shirt. He said, "It's so wise. It's so zen." Yeah. Well, that's. It's I guess true. that's sort
0: of what I've been trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, what have you learned doing the podcast? Is it? taught you things about yourself or the way you interact with other people yes yeah, so, well, so
1: i think it's so interesting because i just did a podcast with your partner anya mm-hmm. and it's so interesting to me the way another person pulls out different aspects of your personality and the words that emerge in the style with which you speak and all mm-hmm. of this stuff i find myself and i guess all of life is a bit like this it's hard to parse which part of you is active and which part of you is just an observer Mm. and like um there's there's a there's a part of you that's just like you know i i know as little as you do how the sentence is going to end maybe i have like a split second anticipatory knowledge but it still doesn't feel like willfulness right it feels like um people bring out different aspects of each other and that's beautiful and i love I think of I've always admired great conversationalists and people who have a certain eloquence, whether it's Terrence McKenna, who was just so incredibly good at just talking by himself. And uh, so I I see conversation as um, I see conversation as a uh, an art form, the same as music. Mm. or filmmaking or photography
2: mm.
1: and one that i admire and respect and would like to cultivate in myself and i have the same frustration when it's not going well as i do when i'm I'm playing a piano piece and i'm my fingers aren't doing what i want them to do and mm. i don't feel like i've practiced enough and um so i like it as a as a manifestation of human creativity uh and i love it as a form as we talked about like it seems like the antidote to like so much that's wrong with our culture and it feels like like again, I have a slightly more optimistic view of technology than you do. I think I think there's a we have a way of using the technology against itself in a way and against the tide like i I wouldn't want to go back to the tribal existence, but I do like the idea of learning from the tribal existence and incorporating the best of what these the technology has to offer. Right. And I think that this is an this is an instantiation of that. Yeah, like right, I don't know. Right. We have conversation we have good conversation. We always do. But there's something about what this brings out, the the, the focus and the deliberateness of it which i think allows you to go deeper than you would otherwise and i appreciate it for that reason alone even if we didn't do anything with the tape afterwards i think there's an intrinsic value to like the way this is bringing out a focus um yeah
0: yeah i I definitely feel that and i i I learned you know i've done uh close to 800 episodes now so and you were one of the first Um, And I've never gone back and listened to them, but people have, you know, written to me and like, I just listened to, you know, the entire archive and, you know, and they'll tell me like how I've changed. And one thing is, as an, well, not interviewer, but as the person, the host of the podcast, um, I'm much more conscious of shutting up and letting the other person talk. Cause I'm kind of a storyteller, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you and I are both storytellers, joke tellers, you know, uh, entertainers in a way. And um, sometimes I've listened to my some of the early interviews, and it's like, oh, dude, shut, up. shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> or I listen to friends' podcasts, and it's like, you're talking to this fascinating person. You're never going to get a chance to sit down with again, and you're telling your story. Like, don't do that, man. Yeah. Like I did that. I. I Probably still do it sometimes, but
1: but I think there. Are, I mean, at its best, it's an even conversation, and I, I love the fact that I'm doing your podcast right now, and you're doing mine, yeah. and there's no distinction. Right, it's not like oh, okay, now let's go, let's go to the tangentially speaking mode, and <laughs> now you ask me questions, or <laughs> yeah, and um, so definitely, a part of the process of learning, is, uh, and it's again very very parallel to music is allow the conversation to happen organically and and uh don't try and impose too much will yeah i i think i've been thinking a lot about will recently like agency and so far as like we talked about different levels of explanation right at at a physical materialistic level there is no even slightly coherent way you could tell a story about us having free will or agency, right? I mean, we are, there's a great interview with Robert Sapolsky who was like, do you know about him? Sure, yeah, I've met him. So he was on a podcast the other day and he's like, he went through all the neurobiology and he's like, show me the neuron that fires on its own, right? That doesn't have a cause, that precedes it, that doesn't doesn't have, we are 100% physical beings that are subject to the laws of of physics as everything else. And there's no coherent story you can tell about where agency exists. Now, I think that's probably going to emerge as a limit of our scientific understanding because it's so clear to us that there were like these little pockets of agency that somehow the universe does like the way Patrick Patrick House, my co-host a lot of the time, he was a student of Sapolsky's and he disagrees with him on this because he says there is so much metabolism and cal- caloric intake that your brain uses to explore different options and mm-hmm. to make a choice between them. Nature is very efficient. If, if there was only one thing, way things were going to go, All right. you wouldn't be using 95% of your like, like the, of your calories to explore options and choose one between them. If that wasn't an actual thing if, the, if, the, if if it was just could only go one way um but but sapolsky thinks it's liberating to not think in terms of free will because as soon as you have a more expansive explanation for behavior it makes it impossible to hate somebody for example he says right. um so I, you know part of me wants to just only believe in free will for myself <laughs> What's that, solipsism? Is that the name for that? Yeah, someone asked, this, uh, are you, is it true you're a solipsist? And the person said, of course, isn't everybody?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, what do you do with criminal justice uh, if if you start thinking in those terms, right? If no one has free will, how, what are you doing punishing people? Exactly. You know, that's what he said. No that's sense. a good thing. Yeah,
1: like he said, he said, of course, if, if the car's brakes are broken, you leave the car in the garage and you make sure nobody can drive it, you lock the garage door, but you don't get mad at the car. You don't think like it deserves to be in the garage. You just deal with it in a functional way. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think that leaves out something so important that of what it is to be two human beings. Like if I thought I was just interacting with a machine that was like a car, our interaction would be completely different. It's based so strongly and so deeply on me seeing you as another responsible agent. So a presumption of will. Yeah. Yeah. And we need that. Like we need that. There's no redemption,
0: right? I mean, not only is there the crime becomes immaterial or unblameworthy, but there's also no chance for redemption.
1: So the the idea of not having free will is as incoherent as the idea of having free. Will. Uh, yeah. Uh, so 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 John Searle had the other side of the of the argument um, of Sapolsky. He was the famous philosopher at Berkeley, and he said, you know, imagine you get you go to the restaurant. They said you want fries or salad with that, and you say it's predetermined. So just uh, you know <laughs> do, what you do whatever must. it is. Must <laughs> that in itself is a choice. Yeah. You are n- you are forced you you can't not be making a choice all the time right right so it's really interesting that both sides of that equation or both sides of that argument are equally incoherent which means maybe the question itself is wrong and some people think it's a waste of time even thinking about it i think it's not at all a waste of time i think it's one of the most consequential and you know it's 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 an it's a it's a it's a realm of philosophy that has consequences it matters what you think about it. It matters how you punish people. It matters how you, mm-hmm. not only criminal justice, it matters how we treat each other, you know, as human beings. Like, it matters how we, like, experience our own lives, yeah. right? Uh, the, how we encounter meaning and, like...
0: Uh, You're you reminding me of this friend I had in Spain a long time ago when I first got to Spain. This guy was Phil, It's British dude. He was there teaching English. He'd been there for a year or two, but he's one of these, like, very proud... To be British guys you know and like any language other than English was just not worth bothering with and you know everything was best in England and he was teaching English there and he hadn't learned any Spanish in the year or so that he had been there except one phrase that he used all the time es igual
1: yeah, me da igual. yeah.
0: So we'd be at a restaurant mm-hmm. and he'd order, you know, chicken and she'd say, you but know, whatever. do you want the Is white well? or do you want it fried or grilled? And he didn't understand, he'd just say, yes, well. It's the same. <laughs> it doesn't <Yes>. matter. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a, like, what was the, the, that movie with Peter Sellers, the, the gardener, Chaunce, Chauncey. Yeah,
1: being, yeah, yeah, being there, there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, strange. Because sometimes... Great wisdom can look like utter ignorance, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And and so, tell me a bit, little bit about your life these days, because I haven't seen you since uh, since COVID began. How did this year, this bizarre year, affect you? Did it? Did it? Both in terms of like the trajectory of your own life and in your attitude towards the world, and in terms of thinking about the fact that we have we went through a pandemic. Like you, who thinks about anthropological issues like has it affected your uh, your worldview at all are you at all surprised by the way we reacted as a as a as a, as a country and as a race oh man
0: uh i think we're in uh a, um, a sort of artificially created moment of calm right now and things are about to get very very unstable economically, politically, environmentally.
1: If you Mark your calendars. This is where our, uh, June 2021. 20, right, right. <laughs> we'll How much time do we have? Yeah,
0: I think, you know, a year or two, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as COVID goes, I it didn't really affect my life that much because I work from home anyway. And, yeah, I didn't really have home. And home being, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I rented a place, you know, and we spent the winter in Colorado in this little house and, uh, you know, just did what I normally do, do podcasts and read. Did you do and... them in real life? No, I did them, um, you know, online. Uh, the, the technology for that has improved dramatically due to COVID. So I think a lot of the sort of... Um, sort of technological momentum or trajectories that we were on has been accelerated by this. Uh, The sort of uh, people moving, you know, uh, remote work, uh, the technology around that, Zoom calls and all this stuff. Uh, The idea that people are moving out of the city, searching for better quality of life, lower costs, because they don't need to go into the office anymore. Um lots of interesting structural changes happening in American society. I don't know how that's playing out in other countries, but But do you see
1: those as positive?
0: I I see them as a mixed bag, you mm. know. I think some are positive, uh some are negative, you know, the sort of domination of Amazon uh it has been accelerated a lot, so we're going to see a lot more, you know, it, inner the small towns just getting gutted because, you know, everyone's buying everything on Amazon. Yeah. So yeah, there there are lots of trends that I feel like just sped up. Um, but I think that I think that we haven't begun to see the reverberations economically mm-hmm. of what's happened. You know, there's been a moratorium on evictions that's about to expire. Government's been handing out money to people hand over fist for a year that can't go on forever uh and once those streams run dry and people are getting kicked out of their houses and don't have any money shit's gonna get even crazier and yeah. and america is not a particularly um, well-educated uh mature society at this point i think we've regressed in some ways over the last 30 or 40 years And so I think the rage and um, the sort of rot that's developed in the political system, it's collapsing. And uh, so, you know, okay, Trump's out of office, but one of the two political parties no longer believes in democracy. Yeah, that's wild. So where do we go from here? You know, the best case scenario is the Republican Party collapses Trump dies, the whole thing just sort of disintegrates and the Democratic Party splits into actual progressives right. and, you know, the sort of it's Democrats enable yeah, it. Yeah. But I don't see that being a smooth transition. I think the United States might become a one-party country like Mexico or Venezuela or fucking Hungary or Turkey and...
1: Uh, and and do you think there's hope for like um i've been thinking about anarchism a lot lately not in the terms of like uh necessarily in you know bomb throwing revolutionary anarchism but the sense of like this ideal of creating autonomous smaller communities um they can be geographically defined but it seems also they can be kind of a little bit more amorphous and uh i was talking a lot with anya about like the sense of feeling like we are a little tribe of 100 people, our yeah, friends are, right. you know, and we're living our life. Do you think there's a, there's a meaningful way in which we can uh, invent a new way to be that's could possibly help survive this tumultuous time? Or are we mm-hmm. so necessarily kind of wrapped up in it? To the point that what happens to it happens to us?
0: I I think uh you know i was thinking about some of that when i was talking about these trajectories and some of them are positive some are negative i think one of the positive things is that as the ship goes down people are thinking more and more about life rafts Mm -hmm. and what i've tried to do in the two books that i've published are try to give people some notion of um you know, where to look for uh, how to organize in these small groups, right? Because that's where we came from. And so, as you mentioned earlier, there are things from the tribal past that are very applicable Mm -hmm. to now that will work. And there are things from now that we can, so if we take the best aspects of prehistory and modernity and mix them together and with some intention and wisdom, we can really have a awesome situation, you know, as a species. Whether we'll have the wisdom to do that or not is, you know, another question. But I do think that people are looking at things like, uh, you know, I need to have uh, food. I need to have uh, friends who are going to, we're going to take care of each other. You know, this bunker mentality, I don't think that really makes sense. Yeah. I think people, the way to survive is you've got a buddy who knows how to fix cars and you got a friend who's got goats and makes cheese and you've got a friend with chickens and the eggs and someone's got a garden and someone's a good hunter and you know everyone's got different skill sets and together we form a small organism almost a small super organism that's got all these different capacities and so we can um, respond to things and take care of each other i think that's innate wisdom in human beings and we start to see that emerge when these artificially created structures start to recede Mm. right there's this beautiful book called uh, paradise built in hell by rebecca solnit and um she's great yeah she's really smart and she uh is looking at disaster sociology and interviews all these people who studied how humans respond to disasters and what they found universally is that in general people respond to disasters with kindness compassion cooperation not raping and pillaging right when the structure the state structure falls apart people take care of each other so that's the good news so i do think that there are positives in this and you know, as I wrote in "Civilized to Death," uh, every civilization that's ever existed has collapsed. So, I don't see any reason to think this one will be any different. There's a trajectory, a life cycle of civilizations, and you can sort of look at ours against the template of Rome and Greece and Easter Island and you know, the, mm-hmm. the Aztecs and and
1: empires more than civil. Or you, yeah, you're, you're, you're equating kind of. Uh civilizations with agricultural uh based
0: population centers Mm -hmm. yeah that are static yeah and empire yeah you're right it's it's also about spreading out into the you know the hinterlands and bringing in resources and labor and all that anyway they all collapse this one will be global that's what's different right uh, there won't be anywhere to run off to. Um, Mars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there's positive and negative for sure. I think. Uh, I think we're living through a, a historic pivot point that we can't even appreciate because we're so close to it. But I do think like we've heard the, we've seen the lightning, and now we're waiting for the thunder. That's how I feel.
1: I interviewed my friend Mark Mack recently, you know, the architect. Have you have you hung out with Mark? I f I don't know. I'm he's really prof- bad with him. He's a professor he's a little Austrian, seventy-two years old. He's uh, very, very involved in Bombay Beach each year. He's an architect. He designed uh-huh. my place in that that I lived in for many years in Venice. Uh-huh. And um, and he was talking he's got very anarchist tendencies he's loves bombay beach he was a professor of architecture at ucla and at berkeley Mm. and um he loves bombay beach he's built the museum of unwanted architecture Mm. which is like like celebrating architecture never got built for whatever practical reasons right um so he's asked architects from around the world to give him uh drawings and models of of unbuilt buildings right and um and i was asking him about you know what he's looking for in this he's retired now from teaching and from architecture almost and he said i think as, as you get older you you have to let go of your accomplishments and of the things that you've made and he said i want to uh you know my ultimate goal is to have nothing and just be shriveled up naked maybe on the shore of the salton sea and then just die like that
2: with nothing <laughs> you know Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah go out with a, an empty tank you know <laughs> don't don't leave any fuel in the tank
1: and 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 uh do you see yourself living in the in the van like do you see that as a as because you now you have land you have uh um i haven't visited you yet i'm dying to see what you, the scene you've you've created there but how do you how do you see the relationship between like being a landowner you know, the builder of, of something permanent yeah. versus this more nomadic existence. It's hard, man. It's really hard,
0: you know, cause I've been doing this nomadic thing my whole life and I, I found this town and I really like the town. I like the setting. I like the nature. I like the clean air and the dark skies. It's, it's not dissimilar to where we are right now. High desert. Um, and, uh, and I and I felt this kind of like, okay, let's put down some roots, let's build something, right? Kind of like, let's do what Tao does, you know? Build a world and make people happy and comfortable to come there. And I mean, what I, I remember reading years ago, a great teacher doesn't convey information, a great teacher creates a space where learning can happen. Mm-hmm. Something like that, I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. it. But I feel like you do that, you create conditions and then things happen within the, those conditions, beautiful things, magical things that you don't control. No. You don't anticipate. <laughs> Correct. You don't know that you didn't know no. she was going to show up with her guitar and he yeah. was going to show up. And you know, that the all sorts of shit happens here that just happens because you've created the right conditions. So I was very attracted to trying to do something like that. And Anya had the same dream and, uh, but I have to admit that now, you know, once I start to think about doing it seriously and start putting money down and all that, then it's like, oh, wait a minute, this country's about to descend into fascism. Do I really want to do that here? You know, like all the questions come up, like, oh, would it be better in Spain? Yeah, I really love Spain. I really love the Spanish approach to life and, you know, the absence of they already went through
1: their fascist thing so yeah hopefully exactly. they got it out of their system they learned something from it <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah it'll be a while till they descend back into it so yeah i mean it, it becomes and then you know so much in my life breaks down into hunter-gatherer versus a farming approach you know mm-hmm. or in ishmael daniel quinn call it the levers versus the takers right you know the there's a way of living that's like you live on the world, but you're not trying to, um, you know, be a settler. You're not trying to build something that's lasting and all that. You just sort of slide through. And that's how I've always been. That's why I don't have kids, you know. That's why, like, I've never really owned anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I owned my first car when I was 49. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah I, I mean yes, I see, I'm a collector parents. and and yeah.
1: I, I was I keep buying these trailers and 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 buses and and thinking this one, I'm actually going to use and I'm going to hit the road again and do what you're doing. And I so admire. And immediately the the yeah. trailer, like grows roots. <laughs> and like, and 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 then, and then I have, you know, somebody wants to come and stay in it. And of course, I love it. I don't want it to sit empty. And like right. when I'm not using it. So of course, you can live in it. Or of course, let's rent it out and like have it be a functioning, you know, um, stay over for people to come here and 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 so I realize I like other people being nomadic and being a little bit like yeah. in, in one place. Like I have I get all these travelers coming through and I get that sense of constant flow of people yeah. and I don't have to go anywhere and it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and yet
0: you do, right? You're flying to Italy in two days. And For
1: the you... first time though in a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I find uh, I definitely have gotten less wanderlust as I get older. Um, I can go weeks without leaving the house. Yeah. And I love different people coming around, and yeah. it's just so lovely. And well,
0: you do have the perfect mix here, because you do you have the stability, but as you say, there are new faces coming through, there are new ideas, there's new stimulation.
1: It's so much better than I. I meet so many more interesting people here than I ever did in L. A. Yeah, like it's it's incredible. And my friend, I've told this story before, but like Mark Rathall, our, my our mutual friend, who's a professor uh, of philosophy he was one of the first people to visit me here and he looked so sad and worried when he came up here. And he's like, I was like, what's wrong? You don't like it. he's like, Towers, I just can't imagine you living all alone. Two miles <laughs> up a dirt road. Like yeah. he was really worried.
0: You were going to go, you know, bomber. On... <laughs> Not just that,
1: that that wasn't fit. My, my desire, you know, my, my, my deep need for like human yeah. contact and socialization. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and the irony is like, I wish I was alone a little more often up here. Like yeah. literally I can count on two hands, the nights I've spent alone here in five years. And um, and I just get this constant influx of interesting people and more and more so too. So mm-hmm. as I've, as the roots of it go deeper um, and it becomes more and more of a thing, Bombay beach, the same like this year in Bombay beach, I, I'm really excited to share this with you next year because um, we realized, I think that the three months leading up to the Biennale is way more interesting than the Biennale. Mm. And to put all that energy into one weekend makes no sense. Right. Like we didn't, this year, we didn't do the Biennale because of COVID. Mm. And it was even more fun than the years that we did the Biennale because we had like 50 of us down there, all still making things mm. and, and interacting with each other. And there was a sense of this like, cool, weird, intentional community that mixes like, you know, installation making with technology. Now my dear friend Freeman is like, invested in, in uh, high speed internet in, in Bombay beach, we have fiber channel like all over town. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's amazing. And there's all these cool, like tech weirdos, like hanging yeah. out down there and like programming. And so there's this like whole new kind of sub tribe that's like evolving there. And, um, and it's just like a, 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 it, the last time I went, it reminded me of Spain, like just like walking down the village and people coming out to their their Mm. door and saying hi and a sense of community that I have never felt anywhere in the United States Mm. and it's the last place on earth where I would have thought I would feel it because it was so deeply post-apocalyptic so that kind of gives me hope that after this apocalypse what emerges is the essential in a way and the essential is this sense of like a small community with like you said people doing having their specialty their passions I always find it amazing that they uh that there's a person who wants to do each of the things yeah <laughs> like there's so many things that need to be done yeah. and the fact that there's like wow this person wants to be this type of you know i have a new friend who's a er doctor you know spend 10 years studying to like see what to me would be the most traumatic the last thing on earth i would want to do right and here's somebody who's like dedicated their lives and is passionate about like yeah. helping people in this like urgent tragic situation
0: well i think that's what fuels us right i mean the the thing scientifically demonstrated the thing that can help you feel better fastest if you're feeling depressed is to go help somebody
1: yeah
0: right that is so human that is in us and so you know victor Frankl, man's search for meaning where do we find meaning we find it in helping each other right mm-hmm. so if if you're some unskilled 15 year old boy with a strong back and those bricks need to be moved across the street it's going to occur to you like i could do that and people will admire me i will be contributing i'll fit in i'll be part of this i'll you know what i mean i'll get some respect and and you want that we all want that you see little kids what do they do they follow their parents around I mean there's this great kid in this in Crestone, this little Thai kid, and his mom. I always see them working in the garden. His mom's squatting down and she's from Thailand, so she's, you know, doing the Asian squat and she's working, pulling things. And there's this little three-year-old boy. He's got a little shovel and he's like standing. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he's just like, I wanna participate, right? I wanna be part of the group. And so I, I feel like it's that kind of like, what can I do? To be valuable to to these people is such a deeply human impulse, and sometimes it translates as I'm going to go to medical school, or sometimes it translates as I'm going to defend the perimeter, or you know whatever it is. I remember reading, um, or actually listening to an interview with Sebastian Junger. You know him, the the writer. He wrote The Perfect Storm and a bunch of other books. He's, he's like does a lot of stuff, military stuff. He was embedded with a group of Marines in Afghanistan, like way at this point in the Corangal Valley. They're getting attacked all the time. And the interviewer said to him like, so you're with these guys, they're in this little hut. They're getting shot at constantly. You know, they don't have showers for weeks. They're, they're just super stressed. They don't sleep, it's horrible. These guys don't know anything about, like, international trade routes or, you know, like, they have no understanding of why they're doing it. Even, you know, the politicians don't know why. Why were we in Afghanistan for 20 years? Nobody really knows. Um, anyway, he said, he said, well, what motivates them is love. That's why men fight in wars. That's why men withstand all this love for each other.
1: That's that counterintuitive, isn't it?
0: Well, in a way it is, but in a way it isn't, right? That's why they miss it. That's why you talk to people, come back from wars. they say those were the most meaningful times of my life. I love those guys. I would have died for those guys. Wow. And some of those guys died for me, right? That's the intensity. Or they died pointlessly,
2: depending on how you see it. It is, yeah,
0: exactly. It's the framing, right? But, but the point is that you take this deeply human need to be of value, to be of service, right? To your fellow human and you corrupt it into now go kill those strangers and, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, it makes me think of dogs, right? Like what's a dog, a dog just wants to like be valuable to you. A dog just wants to help you protect your house or, you know, chase the rabbit or whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, man. You know, and then we turn them into, you know, attack dogs or something. It's not the dog's fault the yeah. dog's motivated by something really decent and beautiful so anyway i don't know it's i don't know what i'm talking about but I, I do feel like there's this you know if we get down to essentials of what makes us human it's this love and need for community yeah
1: you know for if, sure speaking of which i seen i remembered that we invited a few of our friends for brunch here today yesterday and they uh, just walked by our window like 20 or 30 minutes ago. Speaking with of boxes. community. <laughs> yeah, great. I have a great, great community here. Um, I was in a hardware store when I first moved here, and this uh, tall, handsome Italian guy says to me, Are you Tao? And I said, uh, Yes, why? And he said, Because I am Italian and I have some land and I have a boat and a Spartan trailer. And every time I tell people this, they ask me if I'm Tao. <laughs> so I said, "Well, how did you know? How did you know it was me?" And he said, "Oh, just looking at you—you you obviously were the other Italian with the boat." <laughs> <laughs> so we became dear friends. He was yeah. one of my first friends here, Alessandro, and yeah. he just walked by with some eggs. So I think we should go hang out with him and cultivate this uh, this great community. And I love that this is now what like our fourth podcast together. At what 10 years later um, um is that when, when did you start the podcast do you remember what year it was maybe it was a little maybe it was 2012 2013
0: something like that uh, yeah it was shortly after sex of dawn came out and that was 2010 so it was yeah 2011 2012
1: it's great how the um how these roots grow i love it yeah. i appreciate i um our friendship and our ongoing dialogue and um, me too man and i love that now we can I can return the favor and have you on my podcast. (laughs) It's super fun.
0: You know, know, I was thinking, uh, getting back to the early discussion of, you know, what do you learn as you get older and all that? Like, one way to sum it up would be, like, maybe when I was young, I wanted to have a boat. But as I've gotten older, I realized what I really want is to have a friend who has a boat. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's a, it's a very different w- approach to life. Like, I don't need to have a ski chalet, but I'd love to have a friend with a ski chalet, you know? Uh, so maybe between the two of us, I'll just keep going in the van and you develop this world and I'll drop yes. in occasionally. Yeah. And
1: <laughs> yeah. we'll sort of vicariously fill in the gaps. And um, yeah, so so um, just a little cross promotion here, um, tangentially speaking i'm sure you know it if you're listening to me here on being in the world and vice versa uh, probably don't know it but um if you're listening on chris ryan's podcast please come over and find being in the world and is it still only on youtube no it's you, it's on spotify it it's on itunes okay, it's on okay. all of the podcast apps yeah. and uh, um audio only on spotify and 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 pod, uh, apple podcast and then we uh, we shoot video for it so right. if you've been longing to see chris's beautiful face um co- <laughs> it's over there <laughs> uh you can uh, you can come over to youtube and and find the being in the world podcast and i think this is now my 47th episode Damn. 46 was with anya earlier today and um yeah no, it's, it's definitely i i i love it as a medium and and i've i've always been a bit scattered in loving every medium and that's why I, that's why i fell in love with filmmaking because i was like it's everything yeah. it's architecture and literature and theater mm-hmm. and music and design and and, uh, and in a way, this is also everything, because can, we can bring all of our life experiences and try and kind of uh, catalyze them into a, a constructive conversation that takes its time, and it's just wonderful.
0: Yeah. And if you do, if you are coming to Tangentially Speaking by way of Tao, as we've mentioned several times, I mean, there. this is the fourth episode you've been on. First one was at the very beginning of the podcast, when I guess we didn't really know each other that nope. well. And then I remember you did one in when I was living in Vancouver that begins with you playing the guitar some flamenco song really beautiful and I've done at least one maybe more than one episode with your mother yep which is really interesting
1: yeah I to love get a to sense of
0: of where this dude comes from that's uh that's invaluable All right thanks man let's go Thank have some you. brunch Okay bye everyone <laughs> Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of t-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo-Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one. Then, we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or
2: koozies or whatever they're called.
0: Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom.
2: He said, Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. Headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say Baby, what's a big deal If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground